1: Welcome to Climate One at the Commonwealth Club, a conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment. To understand any of them, you have to understand them all. I'm Greg Dalton. Californians have many choices as consumers, but they don't have a choice of where they buy their electricity. Electric monopolies owned by investors or, in some cases, local government, deliver the juice to our homes and offices. Most people don't think about it except when they get their bill or when the power goes out. Climate disruption is changing that. Concern about carbon pollution is causing people to pay a lot more attention to what powers their smartphones and flat-screen TVs. One aspect of that awareness is a move to open up retail electricity markets to give competition and give consumers options for the first time. Marin County has the state's first power choice program up and running. It costs more than PG&E. Supporters say it's cleaner. Detractors question that claim. San Francisco is close to going down that road, and Sonoma, Monterey, and Santa Cruz counties are also sniffing around the idea. Over the next hour, we'll discuss the promise and the reality of clean and or local power with our live audience here at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco. We're pleased to have with us four people who are deeply involved in this area of the energy sector that is formally called Community Choice Aggregation. Kim Malcolm is director of Clean Power SF, San Francisco's effort to offer an alternative to PG&E. Sean Marshall is a member of the Mill Valley Council and executive director of the Local Energy Aggregation Network, an advocacy group. Marcy Milner is senior regulatory manager at Shell Energy North America, which is providing power to Marin and negotiating a deal with San Francisco. And Hunter Stern is business manager with the Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, a main union in the electric industry. Please welcome them to Climate One. Thank you all for coming. Sean, let's begin with you. And can you please give us the context of uh, local power moving away, providing some competition, uh, some choice for electric uh, utilities monopolies around the country? Then we'll get into California and the Bay Area.
2: Great. So uh, community choice aggregation, or CCA as it is commonly called in California, is one opportunity for – local jurisdictions to take over their uh, electricity supply on the generation side while continuing to partner with the incumbent utility. In this area, that happens to be uh, Pacific Gas and Electric. Down south, it's Southern Cal Edison and also San Diego Gas and Electric. So we are seeing um, a tremendous increase in the adoption of community choice aggregation across the country with now thousands of communities um, aggregated under Various um, supply contracts and also moving toward a greener supply through CCA
1: across the country. And are these small towns or the big cities? who's doing this?
2: Uh, it's everything. that's that's what's so exciting, I think, about the opportunity of community choice aggregation. You see towns as small as three to five thousand uh, in Massachusetts uh, aggregating, and um, cities as large as as the city of Chicago that recently signed an aggregation contract, um, gosh, in February of this year, and that's a no-coal contract. So we see everything from the smallest town to the largest uh, U.S. cities.
1: Kim, Mal- Kim Malcolm, why does San Francisco want to do this, and why why are you supporting it?
3: Um, well, the city and county of San Francisco has always had strong environmental policies. Its board of supervisors voted to create the CCA in order to provide residents and businesses with the option to have renewable power product, and to um, have a product that would be um, free of greenhouse gases. In the case of the city and county of San Francisco, um, there's also a policy to build out local resources, um, specifically uh, solar, wind, and uh, energy efficiency products for residents and businesses.
1: So this really is the government getting in the energy business. Is that fair to say?
3: Yes, in the case of San Francisco, the government is already in the energy business. It produces about um, between two and 300 megawatts of power from its Hetch Hetchy uh, hydroelectric project um, in Yosemite.
1: And that power is muni in a lot of the city and wants to go, go further. Yes, okay. most of that
3: power is um, to provide energy to the municipal properties in the city.
1: Hunter Stern, are you pro-choice?
4: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh,
1: so... From your perspective, you are talking about energy. Yes. 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 We are approaching that too. In terms of the um, job aspect of this, union members, uh, is this a threat to jobs? Is this more jobs? How does that shake out?
4: I think the short answer is we will see, but the way that the Marin uh, example has gone forward, it it, it is not. The the opportunities for jobs and the opportunity for local build-out and the things that create those jobs locally and throughout the state uh, hasn't occurred, and we're concerned with those aspects, but we're also we've adopted here in San Francisco a resolution from the Labor Council supporting CCA and and supporting Clean Power SF but not supporting the current contract structure.
1: Uh, And not supporting Shell in particular, right? And why are you opposed to Shell being involved in the energy business in San Francisco or anywhere in California?
4: uh, Well, part of it has to do with the contract itself. There's language in the contract that says that no new local facilities need be built, uh, and that obviously is a job-threatening kind of language. Uh, It doesn't mean, I guess, that it can't be, but that's been the the result in Marin, at least to date, which is three-plus years. Uh, And I think – We also have a strong uh, support and direction toward California-based generation and local-based generation, and Shell is a purchaser of electricity from a variety of sources in and out of state.
1: So what it sounds like so far is the union and the city of San Francisco want to generate electricity locally in San Francisco, perhaps other places. Uh, Marcy Milner, let's get you in on this. Uh, how does Shell come into this? I think of Shell largely as an oil and gas company. And a lot of people don't know why that Shell's in the electricity business. Well,
0: uh, Shell Energy North America actually markets natural gas, power, and environmental products. And so really this is another um, customer for us to serve. We're, we're very pro uh, pro-choice, we we like the ability for customers to be able to choose. We're an energy service provider in the state. And um, as, as Hunter mentioned, our, our contract um, may say that it doesn't have provisions for local, you know, but what the what the contract actually does is it creates a bridge to renewable in, uh, energy independence for the CCA down the road. So it helps them get on their feet in the interim, and then it's up to the CCA to, to – to build those resources. So, but for example, in Marin, we serve uh, Marin Energy Authority, but um, we're one of more than 12 providers that actually supplies them energy. So it's it's you know the competition I think is the good thing that brings prices down for everyone.
1: Okay, so Marin is the first in the state to kind of go down this path. Let's talk a little bit about that. I should clarify that we invited people from Marin multiple times to participate in this panel, and they declined. So, we'll, But some people up here are, are involved. Um, um, Sean Marshall, tell us what's happening in Marin. Is it going well? Are people paying a lot more? How many people have, have opted out or stayed with the, the Marin Clean Energy Program? Um,
2: so what? At first, as a disclaimer, just so everyone is aware, um, I was a founding board member of the Marin Energy Authority, I'm no longer serving on that board, left that board to do uh, the work nationally related to community choice aggregation. However, I remain – I track what's happening in Marin, and what I can say for sure – and I also want to introduce uh, Justin Kudo, who's here from the MEA. can answer questions later. Um, What I can say is that now with the addition of the city of Richmond, Marin is serving a customer base of about 100,000 customers. Um, Some of the – most of the residential customer base is actually – Right now, less expensive than PG&E's power. Um, and I think – I believe that uh, much of the commercial is also under uh, the price of pg and power. So the statement that MEA is costs more is generally an untrue statement. That can be true depending on the time of year because PG&E moves its rates up up and down several times a year. Rent Energy Authority sets its rates annually. But for now, Rent Energy Authority is less expensive than pg and offerings believe they also um, continue to be at least double the renewable content of what is offered by PGE. Because
1: I've heard of people in Marin opting out because they think it costs more. I mean, Hunter, is, do you know about the price of Marin?
4: Uh, I I think that Marin has to answer that, uh, honestly. The, the people who are putting it in the bill, um, I, I don't uh, – we don't know for sure. I think that people have expressed that concern in the past, and I think there have been times when Marin has been higher priced, but they – they do change their rates uh, as PGE changes rates. So
1: Marcy Milner is is, uh, is from Shell's perspective is the Marin uh, really it's a pilot? Is that a success? How's it working for, from yes, your perspective?
0: Yes, it's a success. And and um, you know really I think the key point here, Greg, is that it provides the customers choice. And so for Marin, for example, the customers can choose whether or not they want a light green product or a dark green product, and then they pay according to that. And then Marin goes out and procures that energy, uh, just like PG&E does. I mean, PG&E also procures energy on a wholesale basis.
1: So if you want to be really green, you're going to pay more, but you want to be kind of green, then you pay a little less. Correct. Is that the way it works? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Sean?
2: Actually, I would say everyone in the Marin Energy Authority customer base is twice as green as what they can get from the incumbent utility. As a baseline Light green product. And then if you want to pay a little more, I pay $5 a month more at my home to enroll in a deep green 100% renewable product. So that's where the differential comes in and we're in.
1: Hunter Stern, there's biomass, uh, is one of the possibilities, uh, that's burning things, different, many different types of things. In some parts of the country it's coal, probably not in Marin. Uh, is, is, is it, what, get your response on that. Well,
4: I, I think uh, the answer of, of how green green is, is really the, the source of the electricity. So biomass as a source is highly polluting uh, and, and pollutes. depends on what you're burning, right? It depends on what you're burning, but it can be up to higher uh, greenhouse gas emissions in coal, dep- depending on what you're burning. So I think, I think the difficulty that Marin has uh, to date is that they haven't done a review or a study of exactly how green their uh, energy is. So I don't think anybody really knows. Um, how green – and there's an assumption in, in this discussion, at least at the moment, which is if you have renewable energy, it's therefore clean energy or greenhouse gas emissions free. And that is not an accurate assumption. That's not the way – there is emissions – certain wind and solar, absolutely 100 percent greenhouse gas emissions free. Other sources, biomass, um, uh, there's uh, other other gases that come from landfills, uh, high in emissions. Sean Marshall, do you know how many people have opted out or stayed
1: with the the clean energy program in Marin versus gone back to PG&E? I don't have the current numbers,
2: but I'm um, estimating that it's been about a 20 percent opt-out rate, maybe slightly less. Um, I'm not sure what the current enrollment is in Richmond.
1: And the way the law is written is that people are automatically steered into this new clean community energy, and they have to then actually actively go back to the uh, monopoly. Is that right?
2: Correct, and that is a, a common uh, – the opt-out provision is common across the country with all statutes across the country for CCA.
1: Kim Malcolm, you're sitting here in San Francisco watching this experiment up in Marin. What have you learned? What is San Francisco going to do differently or the same uh, looking at Marin kind of broke the ice on this?
3: Um, San Francisco's plan is a little bit different from Marin's uh, because our board of supervisors has uh, directed us to provide 100 percent renewable product. Uh, that's number one. Our product. So San Francisco is
1: going to be cleaner than Marin. Okay, we got that. Right. Right. okay um,
3: Our product, for that reason, partly for that reason, our product is um, more expensive than Marin's, um, up to about 30, 30%. Is our estimate right now? It's It's hard to tell until we get going. Um, and our product is also a little bit more expensive because we're trying to layer in some reserves so that we have funds to build solar and wind projects locally. Uh, as well as undertake some major energy efficiency projects.
1: And where does the pro- the process stand now in San Francisco? And people have been around a, a long time. This has been talked about uh, for, for many, many years in San Francisco. It's been on again, off again, up yes. and down. So I'd where does the saga a stand? Tw- to- a <laughs>
3: twinkle in the eye of the Board of Supervisors in 2004 when the California Public Utilities Commission was uh, developing its rules. Since then um, – there's been a lot of planning going on, and uh, it's a political process. Right now, um, I've been before the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission with a couple of options for uh, rate levels and resource mixes um, options. And um, I'm going back on July 9th.
1: Okay, so mm-hmm. it's inching forward. Uh, is this a done deal or no? Uh,
3: it's a done deal. As far as the Board of Supervisors goes, yes, it's uh, they adopted this program. They approved um, an outline of a contract with Shell Energy North America. And um, as far as I know, it's a done deal.
1: Uh, we invited uh, David Campos, a uh, supervisor who's one of the champions of this, to uh, participate in this program. He declined. Some people infer that some of the supervisors might be getting cold feet, I mean, less enthusiastic than they were when they voted for this seven or eight months ago. Anything to say about that?
3: Um, I don't know personally about the um, changing views of the elected officials. I'm, uh, what we're trying to do as staff is to provide them um, with answers to their questions about um, rates, resource mix, build-out uh, plans. And, uh, get when you them, say build-out,
1: out, what does that mean?
3: Build-out means uh, we take funds that we get from the program, or um, we might get funds from bonding, and... Uh, and build local resources that would um, provide energy to the CCA um, that would be sold to local residents and businesses.
1: And what's this going to cost people who want to be clean and green in San Francisco? How much more are they going to pay?
3: Um, Right now, PG&E's basic energy rate is about $0.08. We're expecting that um, our program would cost about $0.11, a little more.
1: Okay, so 40% more, something like that. And there was a survey in, in February of 2013 where about, it found that about half, 47% of the people, would be willing to do that. Is that still Yeah, old?
3: about half. Um, and we're going to target neighborhoods where we found the most uh, openness to uh, this, the green product and paying a little extra for Tier 1 customers, which are the smaller users, and, uh, the bill impact would be about $6.50.
1: Marcy Milner, you're, you're, uh, Michelle is negotiating with the city. I'd like to get your take on sort of where the process stands and where you think it will go.
0: Um, well, as, as Kim said, I think, you know, the supervisors have already approved it. And um, keep in mind when, when she indicated that the price might be a little bit higher, it is 100 percent renewable energy as opposed to PG&E, who is currently you know, buying the state-mandated 20 percent renewable energy mix. Okay.
1: Big and so what's the time frame for when this might actually be up and running in San Francisco?
3: Um, from the date we get approval for rates from the commission, the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, we need six to eight months to launch because we have to do a lot of customer notification. We have to give customers three chances to opt out, um, and they can do that in a variety of ways and um we have a a public education campaign that we're going to conduct as well that the mayor's asked us to uh, conduct
1: hunter stern uh your union has a lot of workers what ten thousand workers or so at pg e pg and e uh spent fifty million dollars on a statewide initiative trying to kill this kind of uh this kind of thing that that failed uh quite right. quite noticeably what's their position on these kinds of uh, things are really quite small kind well of-
4: yeah i Boy, well, again, uh, like I don't want to speak for Marin uh, Energy, I don't want to speak for PG&E. Um, our view is that PG&E has overreacted to these kinds of, uh, of, of developments or ideas, the idea of a CCA, um, and that proposition was the biggest example of an overreaction. Uh, we advise them not to do it. Um, but um, at the same time, I think that the one issue that is um, – important for people to understand is that the, the CCA law gives the decision-making to uh, local elected officials. Very few of them actually have a, any experience in the energy industry. And so it, it becomes incumbent on on a very uh, uh, complicated process being uh, taught to them through consultants that are hired by counties and cities, uh, you know, some of whom who are in the business of doing that work. So it's it's a tough, it's a tough decision and one that I don't think very many of the electeds fully understand.
1: Hunter Stern is business manager with the Brotherhood uh, I, of
4: Electoral I, I have to correct you because my boss will fire me if you call me a business manager okay. again and again. I, I'm a business representative. Business representative. Okay. My boss is a business manager.
1: Just trying to give you a little promotion here. Though. Yeah, well.
4: Uh, <laughs> my, it might backfire. Okay. <laughs> Thank I don't want that to happen.
1: Uh, Hunter Stern is a, is a, Business cons- Representative, representative right. with the Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. We're talking about local and clean energy at Climate One. Our other guests today are Marcy Milner, regulatory Senior Regulatory Manager with Shell Energy North America, Sean Marshall, Executive Director of the Local Energy Aggregation Network, and Kim Malcolm, Director of Clean Power SF. Hunter Stern was just talking about some of the – Elected officials not being in the energy business. This is very complicated. It's not what they do. Uh, a person who works in San Francisco city government said to me about this project, do you really want the people who run UNI to run your electricity? And there was a slam on no, UNI. But I mean, really think about this is what's – the, what's the government doing getting in the energy business? You, sounds- you want
3: the people who have been running Hetch Hetchy for the last 100 years um, doing this work. Uh, the people of San Francisco have been served – by city government um, in the form of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission for 100 years with power, um, not to residents and businesses, but to uh, municipal um, properties and also to some large business customers like um, the port and the uh, San Francisco airport.
1: But the idea that the elected officials are, are the taxpayers going to have any financial liability for this? If the, the city is going to get in the energy business, is there going to be some kind of no. oops, where like, oh, we built this and now it's a white elephant?
3: No, the program has been designed according to the board of supervisors so that it is a standalone. It has, it will have its own books of account. Um, it's been given some upfront funding just to get it going, but otherwise. Um, And, and, in fact, those funds come from the Hetch Hetchy Project revenues, not from uh, taxpayers. So, um,
1: Where is the opposition coming from? Why is this taking so long?
3: uh, Well, there's been historic opposition from PG&E over at the State Public Utilities Commission, and I suspect behind the scenes. um, There is some opposition right now from – We
1: should clarify, we invited PG&E to be part of this program as well, and – PGE declined also.
3: Mm-hmm. So. Um, Mr. Stern's organization has been keeping us on our toes um, in terms of uh, its concerns about the Shell contract. Um, I Do think people, are know.
1: people concerned about Shell? It's a big bad oil company. We, like buying clean energy from Shell seems like not quite the right thing. Is that?
3: Um, uh, well, many have that opinion. Uh, the Shell contract is designed to be a transitional product. We're actually looking right now at ways we can do a lot of these purchases and scheduling of power in-house um, with the Shell contract so that we can build out the program a little bit more quickly than we'd originally planned. Uh, there, um, I mean, the idea is to get ourselves off of a Shell contract and um, more independent.
1: Marcy Milner, you're from Shell. Uh, yeah, you Lind- can respond l- to that.
3: I would like to, actually. Um. <laughs> Because really,
0: we were one of many competitors that that went in through this RFP process and and successfully won the bid to serve the city, and I would just ask that you know you also focus on all of the good things that we do. We have a, we have um, taken a lot of efforts on on global warming. We were one of the only energy companies uh, in California to support the climate change legislation. And uh, we've been very active in in renewable procurement on behalf of the state. So there's a lot of really good things that that we're doing here.
3: I, I would and they know how to do
1: big projects like this. Whereas the city of San Francisco, well, you say they yeah, would. Do. Some people say they don't. Okay.
3: Um, I would also add that that Shell's been good about um, helping us find resources that uh, meet some of the concerns that we've heard um, in, in state resources, unionized resources. Um, we're still in discussions with them about that.
1: You're still negotiating a price with Shell.
3: A, a prize and a product.
1: And is, if that negotiation doesn't happen, then uh, is does this thing fall through, or do you get someone else? Where's it go?
0: I'm really confident that it's gonna, going to go <laughs> forward. <laughs> <laughs> because, as Kim mentioned, they, we've been very we've we've worked very well together in trying to be responsive to whatever it is that they need.
1: Sean Marshall, do the people in, in Marin have any issue with uh, Shell being a, a provider? I guess there's lots of other providers uh, of clean energy.
2: Uh, not anymore. Not anymore. I mean, you know, of course, unfortunately, Shell, Shell gets drafted with a historical logo that, you know, represents gas and oil. And you all are very well um, familiar with that. But I have to say, when we went through this, you know, there was some PR pushback primarily, Um but I would say that in Marin's case, the partnership has worked out quite well with Shell. I do think it's really important to reiterate what Marcy had to say, which is, in Marin's case, Shell uh, has a five-year contract to get us started, and then uh, Marin has since um, entered into 14 more power purchase agreements for brand-new uh, renewable resources in-state, in the state of California. So I think that's important to really understand that it's a it's a mixed procurement approach, and um, we espouse that for all CCAs in the state and across the country.
1: So let's talk about that, because this could be clean energy, but it could be from another state, from somewhere else. Does this not, it's not necessarily going to be local. Is that right? Well, I think, I mean, that? that
0: again, that's dictated by state policy. What, what current statute allows is for um, load-serving entities and obligated entities to procure energy from in-state and out-of-state resources. And the statute actually tapers out-of-state resources over time with a, a more emphasis on, on in-state.
1: Hunter Stern, imagine you want it to be in-state.
4: Well, uh, yeah, in fact, that's that's been the, the gist or the push that the IBW and other unions and environmentalists have, have made for, for years here in California. There's a policy that the state has pursued. Uh, we want more in-state uh, renewables. We want our members doing that work. I don't think anybody's disagreeing with that. I think it's how we get to 2020 and beyond when the state is going to rely on much more energy produced here in California. But but I you know and, and Sean mentioned a couple of things um, about Marin. They have and since Sean's left the board, but they've extended their agreement with Shell on three different occasions. So it's now going to run into 2017, and I think that's that. Those are are it, it's not. In Marin, they're not producing those local jobs and those local projects, and that's fundamentally our interest. Um, They've had one uh, project, I think, uh, thus far.
1: But how, local sometimes can cost more. And there are some people right. who'd say, for example, if we can build, uh, solar in the Nevada desert and it can be cheaper, why should California be parochial and concern and mandate that it, it happens in state? When so, you're really concerned about something like global warming, it's a global mm-hmm, issue mm-hmm. and the, the atmosphere doesn't know whether those well, energies <clears throat> are made in Nevada
5: or
4: California. Yeah, yeah Excuse me. Just, to, and, and to answer the concern, and, and that's a very, that's a very important aspect. And, in fact, if you look at state law and, and, and Air Resource Board CARB uh, work, everything that goes up in the air is considered the same. So we're looking to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from all sources. Um, the advantage of electricity ha- happens of, of de- generating it locally and even on a larger scale within the state has to do with the characteristics of electricity. So electricity moves, and it's more efficient for us to use it closer to where it's generated. So pushing it down lines from, from Nevada and Idaho and, and Washington is essentially a waste. You lose, through drag, you lose electricity. Low- so th- that's the goal.
1: So where are the electric utilities in all this? Uh, w- if there's going to be more choice, more competition, uh, their customers are becoming their competitors and suppliers, putting rooftop solar and, and Walmart putting rooftop on their roofs. What is Where are the electric utilities? What's their role in this emerging model? Marcy
0: you know, I guess my view is that um, the utility's primary business model is to make money on their assets, which is the transmission and distribution system. And so they get a guaranteed rate of return on the power lines. And that's, um, you know, that's really what their business model is. So any kind of uh, power procurement they should be indifferent to because with the CCA model, for example, it's just another wholesale power transaction. It's someone else buying the power.
1: If that's true, why have they fought this so hard, Kim okay, Malcolm?
3: Um, well, first, just to put this in perspective, the phase phase one of the San Francisco program would um, provide about 30 megawatts to local residents and businesses. PG&E provides at peak every year 20,000 megawatts of power, um, not not with all of with its own facilities, but it either purchases power on the market or um, produces that power for its customers. This is a
1: drop in the bucket.
3: um, Right now it is, and uh, I think Marin's serving about 140 megawatts of load, so between us it would be under 200 of 20,000 megawatts. Um, I would say based on my work with the state PUC, I'd say, you know, the utilities are very protective of their monopolies and their market share, and um, I think they're representing the shareholders in that way.
1: Which is their job. Yeah, Sean Marshall?
2: And, and I would say that it's very worth noting that um, in every other place in the United States where CCA exists, you don't have the utility opposition at all to this model. And it is for the reason that Marcy stated in that they've already restructured. So the utilities are doing what the utilities, in my view, should be doing, which is upgrading the system, focusing on the grid, uh, transmission and distribution, and leaving the uh, generation side of the business to the open market. The results of that across the country traditionally have meant significantly lower rates for customers. So community choice aggregation can take advantage of that group buying power. And then our job, or that's where lean comes from, is really teaching then how do you layer on, how do you layer in uh, the, the green and local distributed generation component to all of this. So we see competition as a good thing, and we think that utilities, hopefully over time, um, will begin to um, separate their functions such that you've got the generation that's an open market function and that utilities really focus on the nuts and bolts in underlying pole and wire infrastructure.
1: So there's people who kind of make the electricity and other people who, who move it around and, and distribute deliver it. it, deliver it. Sean Marshall is a member of the Mill Valley Council. Uh, tell us what's happening in Sonoma, Santa Cruz, Monterey, other areas in the Bay Area that are looking at this.
2: Um, there are a number of other communities up and down the state that are in various um, places in terms of their investigation of CCA excuse me, Uh, let's see, Santa Cruz, Monterey, and possibly San Benito are coming together to look at forming a more regional approach to their CCA that's led right now um, by the city and county of Santa Cruz. They are in the midst of raising money to get their first um, technical study done, which really looks at not only how can we integrate local renewables, but can we be cost-competitive? Because, you know, No matter what, it's mostly uh, important from an elected's point of view and also from a constituent's point of view to not pay a whole lot more, um, even if it's green power. So so price competition really matters. Um, They're looking at it up in the Arcata-Humboldt area, the city of San Diego, and the city and county of San Diego is moving ahead. They've got, I think, some really promising discussions underway with the IBEW and a um, a solar developer, Down there, who is looking to integrate not only the CCA component but solar build out on their municipal and school buildings while using union labor. So, what we see is every time a CCA is coming online, they seem to be improving and learning from one another and continuing to set standards, I think, that are um, replicable across the country.
4: Hunter Stern? Well, I think. all good ideas and especially the work in San Diego Sean uh, rightly points out that um the discussions in San Diego with the mayor's office and the IBW local there uh really promising um the concerns that we've had and fundamentally speaking the IBW doesn't see electricity as a product it's an essential service that people need i mean we just the way we live our lives today we have to have electricity and there is great concern and probably well well founded for large utilities uh providing those services on the other hand, there's also a great deal of oversight. There's workers who are trained to do that work, and whether it's generation or the delivery, um, but all of those aspects are important. Price issues, the way that Marin and other age, uh, other areas are, or in this case, Marin, is making the prices that relying heavily on renewable energy certificates or RECs, um, and those are they. That's not electricity as much as they are a financial instrument. There, there are benefits or attributes that are considered environmental and positive, but they don't put people to work. So we, uh, it, it, both the IBW and, and unions in general in the state, as well as environmentalists, have, and that's why we have the policy we have here in California, where we're real work, steel on the ground projects here in state and locally, and trying to limit the amount of wrecks that are used. So if you're comparing CCAs from other states, It's probably not a good comparison, especially in view of the fact that the state of California has a 33 percent RPS renewable portfolio standard requirement, which other states don't have for the most part. And CCAs may or may not be a good result Uh, long term, maybe, but short term, we're not seeing it, at least in the job side.
1: So is that a big factor here? I mean, how big of a factor is California has this 33 percent goal, which is quite an ambitious it's a, goal? It's a mandate.
4: Everybody has to do it. So, it, it, I mean, that's what's driving a lot of this innovation and, and production of, of renewable energy. And I think everybody in California agrees. Um, again, as I said earlier in, in the discussion, it's, it's how do we get there? And there is this balance of cost because, regrettably, right now, renewables cost more to produce. Um, and especially renewables, when we're going to have to build new generation facilities, so that's additional cost. So how do you balance that out? And the the programs utilizing high amount of RECs and and the San Francisco program. RECs
1: again, these are so basically financial derivatives, so sort of uh, fungible mm. electrons. Yeah, well, there's
4: it's it's they're certificates. They're created when renewable energy is generated. Um, the problem is is their history. Some of them come right out you can buy them bundled with the electricity that's produced that that gave rise to the the wreck um, and those are those are probably the best um, because it, there's it's evidence that that something a positive environmental attribute was was created um there are other wrecks that are floating around that that were generated were created when renewables were generated you know five years ago seven years ago
1: Marcy Milner, you're in the trading business. Let's get you on, on the price of renewables and also anything you're responsible for. Right. Well, I, yes, that. I
0: just wanted to add that that you know again, state law dictates how much has to come from from bundled generation versus a REC only product, and you know over time that decreases. I think to about 15 percent or 10 percent by the end of right. 2020, and uh, currently at the maximum amount of, of REC only that you can use for the renewable portfolio standard. Is 25 uh, percent through the end of this year, and then that that amount decreases. So I think, you know, really the intent of the policy is to make sure that, you know, there is renewable energy generated that's that's either brought into the state or generated in the, in the state. state.
4: Right. And Marcy's absolutely right. I think that the the concern that we have is is again, RECs don't produ- necessarily produce jobs, and in a state where there's a mandate to get to a certain amount of renewable energy, those projects are going to be built anyways. But the other side is, is, and San Francisco's current policy is going to rely heavily on on wrecks, which, for years and years and years, the city wasn't doing. They were actually had a different path and a different something that was probably we could support more readily.
1: Hunter Stern is a is a business
4: representative, representative with
1: uh, the IBEW. Kim Malcolm, you want to get on this in terms of uh, whether this is real energy or not, really clean energy?
3: Um, yeah. First, I'd like to clarify that the San Francisco Board of Supervisors um, approved of a CCA with the explicit commitment to the local community and the build-out of local resources um, and the jobs that come with the construction of solar projects and energy efficiency improvements Um I, Mr. Stern correct that recs, um, you can argue that recs aren't as green in some ways as some other products. Um, first of all, the city hasn't made a commitment to any level of recs, high or low. Um, we're trying to give our commission a number of options. Um, but second of all, all of the energy products um, that are being bought and sold on the market right now are part of financial markets and contracts, and it's um, – it's, it's a rather nuanced distinction for most of us. Um, the state of California and the federal EPA have approved of RECs as renewable energy products. Um, and that's why we can call them, to the extent the city does buy them, um, our, our product that we will be selling to local residents will be 100% green.
4: Although, and just just a sure. and Kim Kim is we're going to uh, get off Rex because my head that, No, that's fine. That. I, I was just yeah. going to say that the Kim yeah. Kim is is relatively new. So, with regard to local build out and jobs, as late as March 25th of this year, the SFPUC acknowledged through discussions with the commission and the staff acknowledged that there was no plan for local build out, and so uh, they're presenting those kinds of plans currently. But as mm-hmm. of March 25th, there was no plan, and that's why we have concerns about the program today.
1: Uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but I want to ask about San Onofre. A big part of the state's ele- electricity program is going to go offline. Is that going to, That's a big news in the state. Electricity may not directly relate to uh, community choice, but Hunter Stern, that's a big jobs issue. Right. Is, and it also raises a question about where that supply is going to come from.
4: Right. I, well, two, I think there's two aspects. It is absolutely a big jobs issue. There are... Uh, IBW members for, from a different local and also members of the Utility Workers of America who work at that plant and they will all lose their job. And I, I, don't know off the top of my head, uh, how many jobs there are, but there are, some will stay longer to help decommission the plant and, and maintain that site, but it, they're gonna lose their, their work. Order
1: of magnitude, there's about a thousand people who work Yeah, there. yeah,
4: well there's, there's over 900, I, um, union represented workers there. I just don't know how many go mm-hmm. to which to which. Um, in terms of supply, uh, the state—and this is again—the state ISO, the independent system operator, would be the best so- source of the answer to this question. They had a they had a um, temporary uh, plan to uh, provide power last summer and last year to 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 the state, Southern California. Uh, they made it through pretty well without much trouble. I think they think that they're going to be able to do the same thing. But it, it actually it creates an opportunity for for the Creation of new renewables. Uh, there are people in Southern California actually behind, uh, no slight intended, but there's more, uh, renewable generation and, and higher use percentage of renewable energy in Northern California than in Southern California. And in fact, a number of the utilities down south <coughs> from, in the public sector use a fair amount of coal power from, from Utah. So it's an that's opportunity. That's being phased out, but yes. That, that, but that's, those, these are opportunities to make that, that occur faster. Right.
2: Sean Marshall. So, so I want to pick up on something you just said because I think one of the things that we haven't really discussed here, and really where the true power—pardoning the pun—the um, true power comes from community choice—is really how a community chooses to structure its uh, request for proposal or RFP. And what that really means is that, depending on the the policy set by the local governments, whatever you know, whether it's a policy to to meter beat PG&E's price have a greater renewable resources, have local build-out over time, have enough excess funding to do electric vehicle charging stations. We see jobs creation right now um, with training folks for solar and uh, energy efficiency upgrades in Marin County. All of that can be enabled through the CCA, but the key driver here is the RFP. And so that taking that RFP out of just the, the big rubric of a large monopoly utility and being able to customize it, and say very clearly, what is it that our community wants to buy through CCA? That's where the power really comes in. And then you can layer on how much of that should come from union resources. So I think it's really important to understand all of the um, multiplier effect, if you will, or optimizers that can be realized through CCA to achieve all the various goals we've been talking about today.
1: That's the payoff. The obstacle is it's hard work, it's complicated, and it takes some money up front, and it's hard for Politicians to figure out the electricity market, but which some is, of us do. Some okay. In in Mill Valley, they're smart. Yeah. Um, Sean Marshall is a member of the Mill Valley Council. Our other guests today are Marcy Milner, senior regulatory manager at Shell Energy North America; Hunter Stern, a business representative with the Brotherhood of Electrical Workers; and Kim Malcolm, director of Clean Power SF. If you're just joining us, you can get a podcast of this and other Climate One programs in the iTunes Store, and follow us on Twitter with our handle at Climate One. We're going to invite your participation and put a microphone that's over there. Uh, I'd like to, to have you come join us with a one one-part question or comment. Uh, we welcome your comments. Uh, you don't have to disguise a question as a comment if you think we've missed something here. Uh, we do ask you to keep it brief, and this is often uh, the most lively part, so encourage your uh, participation here for e- either of our guests. And if you're on this side, yeah, please go through that door so we don't cross these cameras. Uh Let's go to our audience questions. Welcome to Climate One. Yes.
5: Hi. Uh, Brendan Steele with Future 500. I was wondering if
1: you could quickly compare and contrast California's initiatives with those of other states.
2: Sure. Sean Marshall? <laughs> California leads the way. California sets the bar for the rest of the country. And this is not really so much a community choice aggregation, or it's often called municipal aggregation issue. It's really driven by influencing legislation. Let's just go right to the, the a renewable portfolio standard. In other states, RECs, not that we need to go back there, but RECs count as 100 percent green energy. And so really we need to be looking at how we um, adjust the RPS so that the aggregation contracts can follow suit.
1: RECs being Renewable Renewable Energy energy Certificates or Credits. Let's have our next audience question. Thank you for that question.
3: Welcome. Thank you. Um, You can hardly walk around this city without noticing that we are constructing enormously – uh, could any of you address what all this new construction is doing for electricity? Are any of these buildings getting solar panels or other, um, built-in electricity savers so that they won't create a huge new drain? Kim, uh,
1: Hunter or Kim Malcolm? who's well, uh, Hunter uh, Stern?
4: Either one. You, your guys uh, would be
1: installing them. Yeah, no. well, well
4: inst- installation, but, you know, the, the, the best and, and most, uh, easily attainable um, goals in terms of energy uh energy uh rene- more renewable energy and energy efficiency energy efficiency are these new uh, building codes and building standards that that San Francisco's long since adopted um, the IBW has a lighting system uh certified by the state lighting system uh plans and information and of course Uh, IBW uh, signatory contractors that that install those systems, Um, but it's the only system that's currently uh, state-certified as as lead uh, qualifying. Uh, So there are absolutely literally hundreds of different steps that a new builder, a new developer can implement, not just in buildings downtown, but in new homes, especially new homes uh they can make those those buildings uh, and homes more energy efficient and therefore reduce the rate at which we need to increase generation of electricity so in both sides of the equation reducing not so much reducing demand but limiting the uh, increase in demand through uh, energy efficiency and then m- meeting more of that demand through renewable sources all of that's all of that's important and the IBW supports that 100% it's work for our members Kim, Malcolm, anything to add?
3: Um, I would just add that uh, PG&E, shout out to PG&E, also has some really good programs for new construction um, in residential and and commercial buildings and and industrial buildings also. And uh, things have evolved and continue to evolve where uh, technologies are less expensive and more is known about how to – how to, how to build buildings in greener ways and um, that use less energy so um, it's it 's becoming part of the fabric of the um, architecture architect community and the engineering community
1: and one footnote to that is that uh, if to the extent that those people are not living in the suburbs uh, people who live in urban areas have a much smaller carbon footprint than people who right. live in car based communities where they they drive around a lot and have larger uh, Larger footprint. Let's have our next audience question.
5: Welcome. To the Hi, uh, John Easterday, San Francisco. I'm going to start with a the comment, then I'll ask my question. Um, if all those new rooftops have an option to build, shouldn't it be a requirement that they put solar on instead of just a choice? That's my comment. Here's my uh, question. Two years ago I put in solar. My power bill is zero. It's incredibly local. No drag for my rooftop to uh, my house. I'm thankful that PG&E is there as a big battery to give me power when I'm not making it. Uh, it will pay off. My capital asset pays off in five years or less. Then it's $3,000 a year forever. Two big surprises when I put in that solar. Number one, how affordable it was. Number two, how poorly that affordability was communicated throughout all of the solar literature. Um, in your local things. I'm not quite sure how local your local is. Will there be an option for people to buy power from their roofs? Um, either through helping them understand what the options are and or helping them finance it. Thank you.
1: Thank you for that question. Who'd like to uh, tackle that?
5: Kim Any Malcolm? of us? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
3: well, first um, yes, congratulations on having solar. Um, a big part of Clean Power SF's uh, strategy is to develop solar resources in the city, and that would include rooftop solar that's what they call behind the meter, which is what you have, um, so you can avoid transmission and distribution costs on your bill. Um, one thing we're looking at right now is how to design a tariff or contract so that we can buy your extra power for um, at, at a price that's economical for our customers and also very attractive to you. Does that answer your question? No. Either no. Sorry. One, but
1: the, either one. The idea of anyone else here on this uh, like to get to that? It, Sean Martin. Marin
3: County is already doing that.
2: It's net energy metering, so people with rooftop solar absolutely can uh, use the credits for themselves, sell their excess back into uh, the pool, and then Marin Energy Authority will buy that excess. But the Marin's net energy metering project product is actually less expensive. Um, it's a better deal for customers than PG&E. It actually pays out better. Uh, there's no $4 charge and all of that. So it's highly encouraged, and I believe the number of energy, energy metering customers in Marin is about 2,400 now and, and on the rise. Yeah. So, yes, it's very much enabled.
4: And, sure. it, No, it, we obviously, for people who are installing solar, we hope you use a union contractor. Um, but be, But beyond that, um, we're interested in, in what effect that has, because Kim mentioned that, that uh, currently the way net metering works, and all, almost all utilities in the State provide it, is it bypasses costs that the rest of the uh, ratepayers who don't have uh, solar on the roof have to pay in terms of transmission and, 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 and um, uh, generation costs. So is, is that
1: does that raise an equity issue that it, so I have rooftop solar for example that it, there if are, a lot of people do that then then there's other people who are paying are, for the there are,
4: it's actually it's it's not so much our issue but there are people who raise that issue in filings with the PUC yes And certainly CPC. it's
3: something to consider in planning yeah. in utility yeah. Infrastructure planning
4: people should pay for it
1: as the gentleman said in the question PG; is a big battery there ought to be a, a fair price for using that battery if you net out right. zero at the end of the right. year as my house does uh, that we, it's not a free battery and shouldn't be there ought to be a way that someone pays for that and they get paid for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and the utilities, are, are. Okay. the utilities are currently working on on um, that through various proceedings at the, at the Public Utilities Commission to ensure that if, you know, even if you're going to spin your meter back and, and deliver power to the system, you are still using the grid. And so right. there, you know, there needs to be some way to
1: get some, some equity out of that. But as I understand it, these days people can't be a net producer. If, if a household right. produces more energy over the course of a year than it generates, the utility pockets that difference. Is that correct?
3: It gives you a credit on your bill.
2: Right. Now, yeah. in Marin, in Marin, you can actually have a payout of that excess credit, and that's what's different. For example, with PG&E, they, they will not pay that out. It's just a credit on the bill, and it gets pretty convoluted between electricity and gas and hard to, frankly, trace. In Marin County, that's tracked and then paid out at the end of the year.
1: And the people who are generating this electricity, they – uh, sell it during the day when they're uh, at a uh, wholesale price and they buy it back in the night at a retail price so they might sell it for five cents and buy it buy it back at night right. for ten cents
4: right right that's essentially how it works that's right and it, it's like everything else it seems to be it's pretty complicated but it's the idea is good and that's why there's that's why we're encouraging
1: let's have our next audience question welcome
3: uh, yes a few parts Um and I couldn't understand everything because of the abbreviations, but uh Shell is an oil company, so I don't understand what uh kind of energy that they have also available that's that's green and uh, I saw the film Pandora's Promise, which is for nuclear power um, i I still think it's it's too dangerous. Uh, so i 'm not for it, and i don't know you didn't speak much about that and I may need to get uh, uh gas and electricity soon, so if i don't want to go with p g and e which probably uses more oil and is not very green um, what who can I call? That's,
1: so a couple of questions there. Is there, so the, is there an alternative on natural gas? But first off, uh, let's go to Marcy Milner and, and, Shell, uh, which actually has sold off a lot, a fair number of its clean energy assets. Uh, Marvin Odom was here recently, the president. So there's, uh, while it's gone into gas, there's less renewables in Shell as a company today than there was a few years ago, but.
0: Right. Well, we are definitely known as, as, as an oil company globally, but in 2012, our natural gas production actually surpassed our oil production. Um, And while we may not own the assets for renewable energy, we do have access to all sorts of renewables, including wind and solar. Uh, We do still have Shell Wind as an organization. And, um, you know, really one of the benefits of doing business with Shell is that we have the ability to go to developers that need financing for their projects, and we agree to buy that power and take it to market. And when we do that, then they can get their project financed and built.
1: Anyone else want to comment on, on the, the nuclear? Obviously, well, would not count as renewable. I don't right, think it anyone's right. construct.
4: Hunter Stern, yeah, and well, on, on the nuclear, the, I think the reason the movie uh, was made is because nuclear is greenhouse gas emissions free, and there's just a, a, a much greater premium and just beyond interest. It's almost an urgent need for more sources of energy, electricity that, that don't produce greenhouse gases. Um, I think the politics in California preclude any kind of a, of a large-scale nuclear uh, building. And so we're not pushing for anything like that. It's against
1: state law. It it's against mean. state
4: law. So they'd have to change the law. And, and that was an initiative. And I don't see a lot of people running around saying nukes now. Um, there, so.
1: there was a, a pilot in Merced. Uh, Riva was trying to get something going there. Right.
4: Didn't go very far. Okay. Didn't go very far. Um, the, I have to say that the, internationally the, the IBW as a union across the country is supportive of those approaches, but we don't see that happening here in California. And to answer the, your rest, ma'am, to answer your question, PG&E is a provider here. PG&E is, is relatively clean in terms of its sources because it does have a nuclear plant. It also has a large hydro uh, system. These are not greenhouse gas emissions there. I'm sorry. They're not considered renewable at all, but they are greenhouse gas emissions free.
1: And PG&E is one of the greenest utilities in the country,
4: right? Yeah, for a variety of reasons. Um, I'd love to say that they planned it that way, but that's not the case. But they are, in fact, uh, very green. Uh, The the energy that they provide uh, emits relatively low greenhouse gas emissions compared to other large utilities throughout the country. In fact, they're the greenest
1: that way. One other piece of that question was, will people have a choice on where their natural gas comes from? We've been talking about electricity. Uh, Is that in the offing anywhere?
4: For what we know, um, no, because – well, no and yes. Um, No, because it's totally deregulated in the sense that natural gas is is transmitted um, via – the source, and into the state, um, and people can get natural gas from other providers, but it's, it's not really a, a very developed marketplace. I guess that's the nicest way to put it. Um, right now, it's people will literally knock on your door and say, would you like natural gas from XYZ uh, provider? So it's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem very reliable to the customers.
1: And there's no real greenhouse gas benefit, right? I mean, if you can understand, if you're buying cleaner power that's addressing climate concerns, then you might pay some more. Of that there's a reason for that choice. But natural gas from company A versus natural gas from company B, am I missing something? Doesn't seem to no, RC, commodity.
0: No? Right. No. I mean, it's the same. It's the same carbon value. But I would say that natural gas is extremely clean when compared to coal and other technologies. Right, right. And so the state is going to need more natural gas facilities in order to to be able to firm up some of these intermittent renewable resources like wind and solar. So when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining, you have natural gas to back that up.
1: Uh, natural gas versus coal depends on the methane that's released during production, and so it, it can be cleaner, and there's really quite – we've had lively debates here about ca- gas versus coal, depending on how that's measured. But Marcy Mjolnir, uh how much of a potential uh, does Shell see in this electricity business? Do you see this as a, a growth area in California with these other counties? I mean – Pretty well, big company. You have to see a pretty significant market to want to get into this.
0: Well, again, I, I think you know, uh, you know we we've, we've been very supportive of competition in general, and so it's it's more customers to sell to, but but the load itself doesn't change. So in other words, we're not really seeing you know a, we're not seeing an increase in customers. We're seeing a change. So it would be a wholesale power transaction, renewable energy to the CCA, as opposed to a wholesale renewable energy transaction to to the utility. But um, we We like more buyers and sellers in the market because that creates lower prices for everyone and so you know we we'd love to see new customers new entities develop
1: uh Let's talk about during the electricity crisis a few years ago, people remember the brownouts, et cetera. Uh, if people go to the community choice route, are, are they going to be more vulnerable and a better position if we have that kind of brownout situation? A lot of people said last time that the munis, the cities who actually owned their their assets, Palo Alto, Sacramento, et cetera, they came out better in the electricity crisis than some of the investor-owned utilities. Is that is that true?
3: Uh yeah, I, I believe so. Um, having some measure of yeah. energy independence, um, especially for San Francisco, which is a little bit of a transmission island, um, being able to rely on its own resources would protect it from uh, market price shocks. And um, perhaps reliability, although it's a very complicated engineering question um, as to how uh, a reliability problem in the bigger system might affect San Francisco.
1: Anyone else on that? Um, well, we're coming to the end here. We have a few minutes left. Let's just t- look into the crystal ball. Where is this going to go? Is it going to be? Is this something that's going to spread across the state? Is it going to be sort of the isolated uh, liberal urban areas are going to do this, and the rural areas are not going to do this? Uh, let's. W- where is this going, uh, both within the Bay Area and, and statewide? Kim Malcolm.
3: Um, Well, we're certainly seeing um, a lot of interest in a lot of communities now in California, and a lot has changed since Marin got going. Marin sort of did a lot of bushwhacking for the rest of us in terms of how things operate and um, what kinds of products local communities want and how to serve them. I would I would I would expect Some people are going to look and
1: say, "Well, that's San Francisco. We're not doing that. They're crazy well, anyway." Well, it's San Francisco,
3: right. it's Marin, it's San Diego, it's Santa Cruz, it's Monterey. It looks like it could be Napa. It's been the San Jose or San Joaquin Irrigation District. Um, okay, they're not crazy. I th- okay. I think uh, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, you know, elected officials are going to look for opportunities to um, be responsive to their community's interest in low-cost green power and um, local jobs and um, this is one way to do it. It's not for every community.
1: But Sean Marshall, low cost green power—that's often a contradiction. Oftentimes, green power does cost more.
2: Yes, and, and so that's why we talk about the need to have a balanced portfolio, and um, and so that is the mixing of actual physical renewable power, the bundled power that you reference. It's um, using some combination of that, RECs to some degree within within renewable
1: energy credits, certificates excuse credits me.
2: Um, also, uh, using system quote system power, which is what runs up and down our transmission line, and then over time, really localizing that power. Um, but it's it's really a, a balancing strategy that helps you be um, competitive, but also green up your supply at the local level.
1: Marcy Miller, you've talked about this a little bit. More customers in the marketplace. Do you see more traction on this? I don't know if your area is outside California, but California versus some other areas in the western U.S. or otherwise.
0: Well, I mean, the demand is is driven by regulation, and so there are a number of states that have, you know, RPS standards now, renewable portfolio standards, where they have minimum requirements that you procure a certain percentage of your energy from renewable resources. And I I think that's, you know, really spreading across the country, so – Uh, And and that's a good thing.
1: So, Hunter Stern, where do you see this going? And and is IBEW going to support these or try to slow them down or sit on the sidelines?
4: Well, we'll support anything that produces jobs for our members, uh, clearly. And to the extent that we can engage, you know, as Sean mentioned, San Diego is taking approach to actively engaging with the IBEW there. Uh, In fact, there's a good chance we'll go down and talk to them, you know, a little bit uh, to make sure that, the engagement's full. The labor council. The the, the discussions we've had within our own uh, in our own labor world is if if uh, these project if, if these ideas and these projects the CCAs support working people and provide jobs and we'll support them. That's the simple part. I think that the more difficult part is how green are these? You know, because, again, no one has done a full review of how green Marin sources are, how green San Francisco sources will be. Um, 100 percent renewable qualified um, using, uh, because, as Marcy said, um, RECs, Renewable Energy Certificates, less and less are going to be able to be used in the future, which should be good. It should mean that more uh, more jobs and more uh, uh, real renewables, as I call them, will be built here in the state. But, by using them now, it makes it harder and harder, we believe, to leave that 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 price structure, that price point, and then move into a, a renewable source, a 100 percent source.
2: And, Hunter, I would ask that you check with the Marine Energy Authority on the claim that they are not able to really track um, the sources of their power, because I think actually that's untrue. Um, they, no, no, there's not, we're, there's we're, all kinds of account, third-party accounting. I'm not going to speak to it because I'm off right. the board now, but I think it's worth – Checking with the gentleman in the audience because I know that they have that information right down to the electron but,
4: which is which is good For the kilowatt hour. But, but I think that the, I think that the concern has been that they haven't provided that in the form of how much greenhouse gas emissions are are those sources versus how renewable they
1: you should are. check with them because I think they do now thank you so, so are you saying that people can think they're buying clean power and it's not as green as people think it is
4: especially with the use of, of RECs.
0: Well, except that I would, uh, yeah, I would say that that any time a renewable energy credit is generated, that means that one megawatt of renewable energy was was generated. So you can't create the REC without having renewable energy behind that. And so, you know, as the states continue to increase their renewable portfolio standards, what that does is it lessens the use of fossil fuel generation, which is what the overall goal in California is through both, you know, its climate. Uh, climate change legislation, as well as its RPS.
1: So, Marcy Miller, can you envision a day when electricity, clean electricity, is a bigger part of Shell than it is today?
0: Oh, yes. I think, you know, that's that's definitely the goal. I mean, as I said, we're one of the only energy companies that supported uh, the, the climate change regulations, and we're doing things all over North America. We have a carbon capture and storage project in Canada that comes online in 2015 that will take a million tons of CO2 out of the atmosphere, so...
1: Yeah, that's also at the tar sands, which is a big carbon bomb. But that's for, for another day. Uh, we'll have to leave it there. And our thanks to Kim Malcolm, director of Clean Power SF, Sean Marshall, member of the Mill Valley Council and executive director of the Local Energy Aggregation Network, Marcy Milner, senior regulatory manager at Shell Energy North America, and Hunter Stern, a business representative for the Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. I'm Greg Dalton. You can listen to podcasts of this and other Climate One programs in the iTunes store. Thank you for coming and listening to Climate One today.